Hello, welcome to Talk Racing to me with Naomi. Now the last race goers have left and well, I'm still at York Racecourse. However, it's because I've been chatting to a very special guest. Jutman International winner, unbeaten Bayid. I've spoken to his groom and rider, Ricky Hall. Now he relays what the journey's been like for him, but also some of the struggles that come along when working in horse racing. Bayid seemingly came at the right time, igniting that fire and love for racing. And together, they've embarked on the journey of a lifetime. And perhaps the partnership won't end when Bayid retires, but that might just be something to discuss another time. Here's Ricky on how his Jotmon day with Bayid started. Uh, yeah, I got up early. We, we had him out walking at sort of seven o'clock in the morning, just walking around for 40 minutes. Um, nerves were already building, so after that I went for a run, <laughs> um, just to calm everything down. And But, I mean, the day went very smoothly. Uh, it was, everything went as planned. We were lucky enough to saddle him over in the stables. We had to sort that sort of last minute. Um, how come? But, yeah, uh, we we actually hadn't discussed where we wanted to saddle him, so I got a message from Maureen Haggis in the morning asking me where she thought I, that we should do it. Um, and yeah, he's always calmer if we saddle him there. You get him so he's in the zone before he gets over to the races and can't get wound up by anything. Um, but you have to get permission at York because it's such a long walk over. Right, so he walked all the way over with the tack already on. With the tack on, yeah. We left the stables just after the race before. Um, oh, wow. So he didn't have the saddle on for too long. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because obviously the normal procedure in Europe would be you walk over and then you saddle at the races, but that can be very daunting for any horse, and especially on such a big day, you wouldn't want to take any risks with that, right? Yeah, we knew the atmosphere was going to be something else at York yesterday and I mean with him stepping up in trip we didn't want to have anything else against him really so just help him out as much as possible as much as he's laid back you don't know what's going to be over there I mean they're all waving flags yesterday <laughs> so anything could have wound him up really well everyone wanted to see the horse that's kind of being coined as the new Frankel right there were all the fans were there yeah it's the first time that I've really had that sort of experience with him it's been sort of building all year but uh, at Newbury at the start of the year there was sort of a little bit of chat around the parade ring about him and it's built all the way through Ascot Goodwood you could feel it a bit more and at York it was unbelievable uh, people falling over themselves to get just a shot of him so it's it's very it's a very good atmosphere best I've felt on a race course I mean, I, I was there and the entire race course was packed. And I'm pretty sure when he visibly accelerated in that final furlong of the Jutmont, I'm pretty sure everyone just started to scream. Do, do you remember where you were watching it and what was going through your mind? Yeah, I was stood in the parade ring watching on the big screen because I couldn't get a, I couldn't get a stand. I couldn't get anywhere near the stand side rail. So... I thought best to just make sure I do get to watch it. 
And uh, yeah, by the final furlong, we we sort of knew we'd won. Uh, when he cruised up like that, we knew that he has to turn a foot. He's always going to go away. When he's travelling on the bridle, he's doing everything very easily. And he also kind of got rid of the, you know, the hesitation around the, the trip restriction, right? Going a mile and two and a half and, and the fact that he was so comfortable doing it. It didn't seem a bother to him at all. Yeah, I think traveling over a, a mile two, it's, it's not that much in, like, there's not that much against him because as long as your horse relaxes, it, they're not using themselves that much. For the mo- for the most of the race, and he relaxes incredibly well. He has a very very good mind, and he. So we we knew that we should be better over the trip because we still had the turn of foot that he's shown over a mile, and he showed it to devastating effect yesterday. It was absolutely incredible. And now right right after the race, you were leading him around. I, I can see that you were emotional, and you gave him a kiss, and you were kind of proudly showing off this superstar to all his fans what was that like for you how special was that yeah it's a it's a sort of once in a lifetime moment I mean I've led him in a lot of times but yesterday felt if it felt like everybody was there for him uh I think every other race he's run in people have come up with things that he hasn't beaten much but I mean he can only beat what has turned up on the day and Every time he's turned up, he's done that. And I mean, I I was overwhelmed. Like it was, it's just an incredible, incredible day. And I won't forget it in a hurry. Do you feel like perhaps there were still some doubters before the Jutman and, and this performance kind of dispelled that and truly turned everyone into believers? A hundred percent. I mean, I think people have doubted him his entire life because... I don't think the Myler division in the UK probably isn't the strongest at the moment. Um, but he's been doing it and it looks a bit like he's been doing it, running over the wrong trip and beating everything there. He beat Palace Pier and a very good and he was a very good horse last year. And still people well, he was on the way out of his career and maybe didn't handle Ascot and things like that. And so I think yesterday it gave people more of a wow about him. He the way he finished the race off, it you couldn't say he was workmanlike or he was just doing enough. He he blew them away yesterday. And I think any horse would have struggled to go with him past it, or present. It literally looked like everyone was standing still and he was the only one doing running in, in the final strides. It wasn't it wasn't even close. I got goosebumps as well. I'm based normally in the US and I, you know, I was a little bit skeptical. I was like, all right, let's have a look. Let's have a look at this horse and Actually, I think what struck me the most, aside from the fact the way he accelerates, is you you obviously know him very well and you've seen him grow up. He is not an overly big horse, right? But he has an incredible engine on him. Have you seen him change into that physically? Um he's yeah, he's he's never been a big sort of he's never been a big leggy horse. He's he has always been looked a bit heavy. He never looks he never looks really lean and really fit. He he carries a bit of weight on him, but he's got such a big back end and that's where all of his power comes from. And I mean, this year, I think his shoulders have filled out more. Last year, when we led him around behind, behind Palace Pier at Ascot, you could 
sort of tell the difference between the three and the four-year-old because Palace Pierre was much stockier than him and like he still had a, he had a massive back end but his shoulders were still quite weak and this year I think his shoulders have filled out and he's he just looks the the finished article really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, Palace Pier tremendous race was multiple Group One winner. Just for everyone not familiar, Queen Anne winner as well, and indeed now retired. Now, for everyone that isn't as familiar with you or with how it works in in the UK. What do you do with Baid on a daily basis? I know you look after him and you get on him in the morning as well. Yeah, so um, I ride him out every day on the heath. We do various exercises. Um, and yeah, I look after him in the evening as well. So I'm, I'm the one, I, I have the most to do with him out of anyone. And I'd say I probably know him best out of anyone. And I mean, he's, he's just like my best mate. I'm, I do everything with him when I'm at, at work, really. So tell us a little bit about him. What is his character like? Does he have any quirks? Is he, is he hard to ride? Um, he's hard to ride in the winter. <laughs> in, in the winter at William Haggis's, we spend a month trotting any of the horses that stay in the yard. And he gets incredibly fresh. And... I mean, he's he's thrown me off of him, I think, four times this year. I think he threw me off him four times last year as well. But always in the winter. As soon as he starts cantering and doing his work, he's the most relaxed, settled horse that you could get. So he led the string the whole time. He was a three-year-old, and we tuck him in behind one now just to keep him safe, really. <laughs> So when he doesn't have much to do, that's when he gets a little fresh. You, you mentioned that he got you off a couple of times. Is that when trotting, like in a ring then? And what does he do then? Does he go and stand there and look at you or is he gone? Um, he, I've, I've kept hold of him every time bar once and uh, he does his best to get away from you. But yeah, we trot, we trot around the ring in the yard. Um, it's, quite, it's quite nice because it's, it's a bit safer if you do come off, they can't run off too far. He did get loose out on the heath once this year at the start of the year. And I think all of our hearts sort of skipped a beat as we uh, were desperately trying to get hold of him again. But luckily he did himself no damage. And yeah, he's 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 quite a character when he's when he's got that freshness in him, he he's quite hard to stay on board. <laughs> okay. But normally then in training, because he seems pretty laid back. When I was walking back with him after the Jotmon now, I think you were looking after another horse and receiving your prize. He was really relaxed after the race. He didn't strike me as being, you know, overly excited or he seemed to take everything in his stride. Yeah, no, as as soon as he starts doing work, as soon as he is cantering away, he settles straight down. It's literally there's a month of the year where we don't do a lot with them because we don't have too many runners over the winter unless they're traveling abroad. So we, we give them sort of a little, little bit of an easy time and he just, he sort of thrives on it and he, he loves his work. So when he's not doing it, he plays around and does what he can. As soon as he's cantering away, he is the most relaxed horse and anybody could ride him in the world. He's, like I said to my fiance that we'll get a picture of our two month old daughter on him before he goes out to stud because no. 
you wouldn't get you wouldn't get a chance to get, get one otherwise. And I mean, literally, we could I could put her set him on his back and stand there holding him. He wouldn't bat an eyelid. He is a very very kind horse, and he's a very very laid back horse as as long as he's doing enough work at, during the week. That's that's incredible. Well, you clearly taught him well because you've been looking after him and riding him nearly from the get go. Is that correct? Yeah, he's 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 always been fairly laid back, but yeah, like I say, it is just a month of the year, and I wouldn't say he's been a hard one to get right. He's been very straightforward in his entire life. He's always been willing to do his work, and he shows a lot at home. Some of them don't show you anything at home, and then get to the track and you're very surprised. He shows a lot at home and then does it at the track. And you're always a bit worried if they show it too much at home that you're not going to see it when they get to the track. But he has always been very, very straightforward and he's always done everything we've asked. I think I, I've i been very lucky to ride him and I think anyone else that had been on him would have been very happy to stay on him as well. Did you anticipate his talent and subsequent success when you started getting on him? Um, not straight away. I, this sounds ridiculous now, but when I, the first sort of few times I rode him, I think I may have said to Harry, that was one of the other lads that rode, rode him at the time. I think I said, oh, his, his name means, I think it means go far or something like that. And I said, oh, he'll need to, because he'll need a trip and well wow. yeah but we've we've always thought he's very nice so I just thought he wanted a bit further than a mile and especially after his first run his first run he did nothing until half a furlong from home and came from the back of the field and passed everything and you'd say he was screaming out for a bit further but he's done absolutely nothing wrong over a mile so we kept him there and now we've stepped him up we've shown that he's probably better suited to a bit further I feel like he could definitely even stay further. I, I, I think it would be great if we see him in the arc. I think he could easily see out, you know, the further distance. Now, how did you get to look after him? How does that work when you work for William Haggis? How is this? How are runners' horses allocated? So it's sort of if you if you ride one, you can ask to look after it, um, but. It's it's almost sort of drawn out of the hat a bit. When he because they when they're two year olds they live down at a different yard, um, literally just down the road. We we cycle down to the yard to go and get the, on them for our third and fourth lots. Um, but when they come up to main yards, then they're allocated to somebody almost at random, and you're very lucky if you get a good one. And if you really want to look after one, you can almost beg Maureen Haggis to swap it over into your name. I was very lucky in that Harry, the other lad that used to ride him occasionally, said he felt that I had more of a connection with the horse and that I should be looking after him and gave him up for me to look after. So I've, I, I owe an awful lot to him and he, he's a very good friend. So, Well, allowing you to go on the trip of a lifetime effectively, right? What has this journey been like for you? Yeah, it's, it, it's exactly that. It's it's the trip of a lifetime. I, I don't think I'll better it. Um, and I couldn't have dreamed of doing it. It's it, it's incredible. I, I've been, and I mean, I've been to Dubai and I've been to Australia with horses and 
I wouldn't change by Eads Pass for for the life of me. I think we've we've raced everything that's here. We went to France with him to win a Group One early doors, and we haven't really looked back. I think the races fall into place in the UK for the Milo Division, and stepping up came at the right time. I like you wouldn't mind seeing him in the arc at the end of the year, but it's not a choice for me to make. Um, I just think that perhaps that would get rid of any any lingering doubters that there might be. Yeah, I agree with that. And just the way that he finished the Jotmont trip of a mile and a quarter makes me think that an added two furlongs for a mile and a half wouldn't be a problem. He just looked so comfortable. But of course, you know, the Prix de Lac de Triomphe is the elite race in Europe for a reason. And it's definitely not an easy decision to make. But I do hope they'll bring in there. I think it'd be absolutely incredible. Now, talk a little bit further about knowing that perhaps he's only got a couple more races to go in his career. This will probably all come to an end by the end of this year. Does that make you savor those moments, these special days even more? Yeah, yeah. You just have to... The boss has been been telling me for the last sort of three races, make sure you enjoy it because we won't have him much longer. And it's it sort of puts pressure on you to enjoy it, but you, it, it's hard not to. I mean, yeah, you get nervous, but nerves are good. It show, shows that you care a bit. Um, but, I mean, every single moment with him is is special, especially now. I mean, I won't beat this in, in my lifetime and... I don't know if many people would. It's it's an incredible feeling to have, and it, it's it's sad to think that I won't I won't have him around next year. It's, it's like losing one of my best mates. Yeah, it's it's a little bit bittersweet in a way, isn't it? Because I remember speaking with you directly after the race, and I can even sense that when talking to you that it's such an incredible experience and gift that you've been able to be associated with a horse like this. But on the flip side, it also means that you'll have to say goodbye at some point. Yeah, it's, it's, that's definitely it. It's bittersweet. It's, there's, there's far worse problems to have, but <laughs> I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's sad that he won't be around, but I hopefully, hopefully we'll be in racing to see his sort of progeny continue on the, the legacy really. That'd be extra special, wouldn't it? If he starts covering mares in a breeding shed and then eventually you'll start riding his two-year-olds and three-year-olds. Yeah, just hope. hopefully he gets sent some very good mares. I, I hope that he gets the sort of support that Frankel did early on in his career because he, I think Frankel was very well managed as a, as a stallion, which means that he's, he's continued to get very, very good uh, mares to cover. Um, and I hope that people support him in the same way. I hope so too, to get that chance to have his talent and legacy live on through his progeny. Now, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your background. When did you get started in, in horse racing? How long have you been in the sport? So I used to ride out in the summer holidays of, of school uh, when I was about 14. I used to go and ride out for a little uh, dual-purpose trainer, Andy Tunnell, because um, my brother was a conditional jockey for him. Um, 
Yeah, and I did that when I was 14. I think I went to Luca Kamani's when I was 15 on work experience. And then I went to college and forgot about racing for a couple of years and came back into it at the age of 17 and haven't looked back. I worked for Luca Kamani for 10 years. And and the, when he retired, unfortunately, I, I moved basically next door to William Haggis's. So I, I've done quite well. Well, you've definitely been instrumental in the success of Bai. Now, you mentioned that you've been in racing for quite a while. Is there anything that you want to achieve within the industry? It's always like that quintessential cliche question of, do you want to train? Or is there anything that you would love to do one day? Um, I mean, many, many years ago, I might have said I wanted to be a jockey, but I, I think the, the time for that's far gone away. Um, and I've put on a few too many pounds. But uh, I, I don't know. I think this is this is probably the pinnacle of my career in racing. I'm not sure what I'd move on to. I've done most jobs in racing. I had a sort of pupil assistant, head lads role at uh, Luca Kamani's. I've done travelling for uh, Luca and for William. And so I've, I've done most of the roles that you can do without progressing up to sort of assistant trainer roles. And I, I don't know where I'll really go from here, but we'll see. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it can be tricky within the industry to then indeed move up or, or find that next step on that career progression ladder. I, I know from experience, I worked in, in, in horse racing as a, a full-time stable staff member myself when I started out as well. So yeah, I know that it's an incredible lifestyle, but sometimes it's also trying to figure out if there's opportunities there and, and what you'd want to do next. Well, what is it that you love the most about working with horses, you'd say? Um, probably the variety. It's it's a, it's a great job, um, but it obviously comes with its limitations. I mean, it's brilliant and I, I, love, I love the horses and I love being outside and I don't know if I could sit in an office nine to five every day, but it, it's... It just gives you opportunities to do things you wouldn't do otherwise. Um, it's, it, and it's, it's a great buzz when you get to go to the races. And I mean, even if you go to the races with a class five winner and it win, like, and it wins for you, that the buzz is still there. And that's sort of what you have to thrive on. It's, it's incredible. Well, and the horses you look after as well, it just feels like you said in a way that you're friends and you get so attached to them that even if it's, you know, a lower handicapping win, uh, let's say Wolverhampton on a Friday, that still means something, at least to me it did as well. Yeah, 100%. And you, you spend a lot of time with these horses. I mean, on a daily basis, I probably spend more time at work than I do with my daughter at the moment, <laughs> which, I mean, that, that sounds pretty bad, <laughs> but it's it's sort of what you have to give up to do the job properly and when you've got horses and you really you care for them like they're pets really you you are happy to give up your time like that but obviously there will come a point where you have to decide what your priorities are and I I'm now it's lucky that Baid was here sort of this year because now I'm looking forward and thinking well I want to spend more time at home I've got a a two-month-old daughter and I'd like to spend a lot of time with her growing up so it might just be stepping back from sort of the racing 
traveling side of things and sticking around at home a bit more. Yeah, would you ever consider getting out of racing there? Because I know that this is obviously a topic that lives around the world, right? In the horse racing industry, that it, it's long hours. It's a, it's a lifestyle. And, you know, sometimes we say we should look at a different condition, different things. But then again, if you go outside of racing, we don't get the chance to work with horses. So it's, it's a bit of a catch-22 in a way. Yeah, I I mean, I've I've done quite a lot of jobs in the years between sort of when I was 15 to when I went back into racing. I think I tried my hand at, at many jobs and didn't really find one that stuck. And that's why I went back into racing, because I knew that I was good at it and I enjoyed it. And I went back in as it being a job, not necessarily a career. And I think that is the issue with racing at the moment is that it does feel a bit like it's a job for a certain amount of years, but you need, at some point, you need that to have a work-life balance that's a bit better for you. I think some parts of the world have it a little bit better, sort of Australia and places, the work-life balance seems a bit better controlled, but I, I mean... It's it's long hours and the horses need you to do the long hours. Yeah. And so if you're going to do it, you have to do it wholeheartedly. Well, because in the end, I remember this from my own experience, they eat before you eat, right? It's a long day, you go to the races. They have to be, let's say, rugged up, fed, better down before you go home. Yeah, but I mean, that is that is it, isn't it? I, they're, they're there they can't help themselves you are there to support them it is it's somewhat like having a child they're very reliant on you and that is what you're employed to do i think that it, it is early early mornings and late evenings but you do it more for the love of the love of the horses than you do for the ages that's definitely true yeah well we're all very lucky that by came along but maybe even more so for you really solidifying why you're doing this right why you're in racing a hundred percent he's he's reignited sort of the the belief that this is possibly the best job in the world and i it's not that i didn't i it's not that i didn't like my job or anything like that i love my job and william and maureen have been great to me but it's it just sort of hammers that home that this is why you do it. These are the days you're really hoping for when you're getting up every morning, you're riding them out in the snow and in the rain. And that's what you're doing it for. It's because one day you might find a horse like him. And incredibly, we have managed to find one that is, well, is him. Is quite extraordinary. <laughs> Does he put a smile on your face when you walk into the barn in the morning? Is he the first horse you ride? I'm assuming you've got a few that you ride, right? Yeah, most mornings he's the first one I ride. I, I mean, I was in there this morning before quite a lot of people got to work just to go and make sure he was all right. He, really? uh, He's just, yeah, he's just... You walk in and he's stood there with his ears pricked. He, he'll win you anything that walks down the yard. He's... Not in a culty way, he's just friendly. He's just, he's such a lovely horse. Wow. Ricky, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, sharing Bayid and his characteristics. 
I, I much appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you again and to see him again, either you know, champion stakes or Irish champion stakes or the pre-deluxe de triumph. I of course very much hope that he'll uh, line up there. Yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. To actually get back to one of the stories that Ricky just mentioned of Bayeet being so kind and kind of whinnying at everyone and everything, he was doing the same thing as he was walking back from your grace course through what we call the infield in the US on a path that allows horses to get back to the stable. He was so relaxed, taking everything in, but also kind of whinnying, looking around. There were a few fans there on the way and he was kind enough to stand still so they could take pictures with him and then he just continued on the most laid-back ultra talented runner i've come across in the past few years now if you aren't familiar with baid's form he's won the prix de moulin the qe2 the lockinge to queen anne the sussex and now the jumpmont international all group ones he's a perfect 10 from 10 remaining unbeaten and possible races for him are at the moment perhaps closer uh, being the Kipco champion stakes October 15 but William Haggis his trainer did mention that perhaps the pre de triumph will be an option you'd have to be supplemented for that or go Irish champion stakes uh, even earlier still so plans are still open and in another note, the cover picture taken that you can see here on the website. It was taken at the winter, at the start of 2021. It was given to me by Ricky Hall. And I quote, he was saying, it shows even in the snow and cold, if you got the right horse, he'll keep you smiling. The picture was taken by artist Amy Green. So I think that kind of sums it up, that you find these horses that take you on in incredible experiences and that really reminds us all why we love horse racing so much i couldn't be more grateful for ricky hall sharing his story with us and graciously providing some of his time and of course hopefully we'll see uh baid again still in a couple of races this season before retiring to the breeding shed that will do it for this week of course talk racing to me as usual we'll be providing some of those background stories and i can line you up for an exciting guest again next week 